such an honor to be able to share God's word with you today. Happy Mother's Day to all of, thank you, I'm a mama too, to all the moms out there. We have a gift in the comments for you as you exit. One of the things I want to say is if you are a woman who is not a biological mom, but you are a spiritual mom, I want to make sure that you grab a gift too. I read something recently that says um, that we are in a crisis of having spiritual moms and dads in our society. So if that is you and you're a spiritual mom, please get a gift. You are so valuable, necessary, and honored here at Cheney Faith Center and honored by God. We are in a series right now called, What Has God Actually Promised? And sometimes we can misunderstand or misconstrue God's promises, and then that can lead to disillusionment, discouragement, or flat-out disobedience in our Christian faith. And so that's why it's so important that we talk about these things together. With today being Mother's Day, I felt like there could be no greater topic to discuss than suffering. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because to become a mom, there's some suffering involved. However, for many different reasons, Mother's Day can be associated with suffering. Maybe you've lost a child, maybe unable to have a child, maybe you've had or have a difficult relationship with one of your children, maybe you've lost your mom, or maybe your mom didn't treat you right. Those are all things that can um, translate into suffering having to do with this day of Mother's Day. But we also know that suffering doesn't just surround the topic of motherhood because suffering is a universal part of the human experience. And so we want to take a little bit of time and find out what God actually promised us regarding suffering. Does God promise his followers that he won't allow us to suffer? No. One look at Job in the Old Testament answers that question with a resounding no. Does God promise that he will bring good out of our suffering? Thank you. I appreciate the feedback. This is awesome. All right. Romans 8.28 tells us that God causes everything, which would include suffering, to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yet I believe that there is an even greater promise and principle found throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, that we can hold on to during seasons of suffering. So I'd like to look at the lives of two men, one will be in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, to show you this biblical principle, and then we're going to apply it to our lives today. Warning, it's going to be about two-thirds of the way through my message before I actually let you in on what the principle is. Um, so just be listening and maybe you might be able to put some of the pieces together as we go. Okay. So the first, first person I'd like to share about is a man named Joseph in the old Testament. And he is a prime example of this principle. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at his somewhat crazy life. You can read about him in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and if you're not familiar with his life, I encourage you to take a couple days to read through that because he has a very fascinating life. I'm going to give just a brief overview of the main parts of his life. Joseph was the 11th and most favorite son of his father Jacob. And the reason why is because Joseph was born to Jacob in his old age. 
when Joseph was a teenager, he had some dreams that his family would one day bow down to him. He had two different dreams. The first one was that there, he was out with his brothers and they were binding up the sheaves of grain and the brother's grain bowed down to his grain. Well, then he had a second dream that the sun, the moon, and all of the stars came before him and bowed down to him. Now, Joseph wasn't too bright because he decided to share those dreams with his brothers, and his brothers were very annoyed by him. Any older siblings in the room that get annoyed by younger siblings? All right, yeah, okay. I'm the oldest in my family too, so yes. Um, but not only were they annoyed, they were also very jealous of him because his dad made him a special fancy coat. And so because of all of this, they sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him, but one of the brothers said, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. So he was separated from his family for many, many years, and he was also separated from his homeland for the rest of his life. And this all happened to him, this all started when he was 17 years old. The man that he became a slave for was named Potiphar, and Potiphar saw that everything that Joseph put his hands to prospered. So Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. Well, Potiphar's wife took notice of young, handsome Joseph and tried to seduce him to come and sleep with her. But he wouldn't do it because he was faithful to Potiphar, his master, and more importantly, he was faithful to God. So when he, she couldn't get her way with him, she falsely accused him of sexual misconduct, and then he was thrown into the king's prison. <clears throat> However, when Joseph was in prison, God's favor was with him, and eventually Joseph was responsible for taking care of everything in the entire prison. So first he was given responsibility of a household, then a prison. <clears throat> well, the king's cupbearer, and Baker were thrown into that same prison. And those were two very important roles in the kingdom, a cupbearer and a baker, because a cupbearer would drink the wine or whatever they were drinking, wine, before it was given to the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Same with a baker. So they were thrown into prison. Doesn't really say why. Um, and they each had very disturbing dreams. And I want to read that to you. They each had a disturbing dream that no one could interpret. So I'm going to read part of this out of the Bible. This is Genesis chapter 40, verses 9 through 23, and it says this. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a great vine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, sold into slavery, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. 
In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastry stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. <laughs> then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. That is not what he was expecting his dream to mean. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Until two, two years later, Pharaoh had some disturbing dreams that no one in his whole kingdom could interpret. The first dream was of seven fat, healthy cows that were grazing by the Nile River when all of a sudden some skinny, the Bible says skinny and ugly cows, came up out of the river and gobbled up, the Bible doesn't say gobbled, that's the Kate word, but came and gobbled up all of the fat and healthy cows. His second dream was very similar. There were seven heads of grain growing on a single stalk, and then seven more heads of grain sprouted up, but these heads of grain were very thin, and they were scorched, and the thin heads of grain swallowed up the healthy heads of grain. When Pharaoh was so concerned because no one could interpret these dreams, finally the cupbearer remembered Joseph. He had him pulled out of prison to come and help Pharaoh. <coughs> With God's insight, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and explained that there would be seven years of plenty in the land, and then there would be seven years of famine, and that's what the dreams represented. So then Joseph took it one step further with God's favor and with God's help and insight, and he gave Pharaoh a plan of how he could manage the next 14 years of the seven years of um, plenty followed by the seven years of famine. And in true leader fashion, Pharaoh rewarded the good idea by putting Joseph in charge of the whole thing. Because Pharaoh understood the principle that whoever has the great idea about something most likely is the best candidate to implement and manage that idea. Well, eventually, Pharaoh made Joseph second in command because Joseph just continued to gain notoriety with favor being on his life and everything that he touched kind of like turned to gold because of God's favor. And so he was a second in command, not just of a household, not just of a prison, but of an entire nation, a very wealthy nation. At the age 30, 13 years after Joseph was sold into slavery and his suffering began, Joseph was married and had a couple sons that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Well, when the famine arrived, it spread all over the world, and Joseph's brothers ran out of food, so their father said, why don't you go on over to Egypt and get some food there? So they went to Egypt to buy grain for their families, 
And that's when Joseph's prophetic dream came true because when they came before Joseph, because he was in such a powerful position, they all bowed down to him. Now, at that time, they didn't recognize that this powerful man was their long-lost brother, Joseph. Well, several chapters into this story, Joseph eventually lets his brothers know who he was. And amazingly, instead of punishing them or taking out all of his frustration over the suffering and grief that they caused him, Joseph forgave his brothers. He provided for them. And he showered them with all kinds of kindness and all kinds of grace. That allowed them to be reconciled as a family. And they all moved to Egypt with their dad, Jacob. And they were well provided and they lived there for the rest of their lives. Now, anyone who says that the Bible doesn't have some really interesting things in it, this is an example of some really interesting true stories. These are biographies. This is not fiction, this is nonfiction, and a fascinating biography. Joseph was one of the very first people in history who was caught up in slave trafficking. Much like many people today around the globe, he was sold by his family into a life of slavery when he was just 17. Can you imagine the psychological torment that that must have caused him? The brothers that are supposed to be for you, the brothers that are the big brothers that are supposed to help you and protect you, all of a sudden turn against you and take money in exchange for your life with no regard for your safety, no regard for your future. Then things start going good for Joseph again until he is the brunt of false accusations from Potiphar's wife, which led to an unjust imprisonment. Can you imagine how angering that must have been to Joseph, to pay the price of a crime he didn't commit? That must have been very mentally challenging and also very defeating to his personhood. Then his hopes are once again bolstered when he interprets the cupbearer's dream. And the cupbearer says that he'll put in a good word for Joseph. And two entire years go by, waiting and waiting and waiting with no results. There's not much that makes a person more heartsick than waiting and hoping for something to come to pass that never does. Just like it says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Joseph must have been very heartsick. The first 30 years of Joseph's life was a living example of life not turning out the way you expected or the way you wanted it to. I bet some of us here can relate to that and have experienced that as well. Joseph's life included a lot of suffering. Certainly some of his pain must have been physical because he was a slave, so his, that took a physical toll on his body. But I believe that most of his pain, most of his suffering was psychological or mental and emotional pain. And how many of us know that mental and emotional pain can be the worst kind of suffering that there is? I love the quote by C.S. Lewis that says, well, I don't love it, but it, it goes to this point well. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. 
Joseph's life was full of unmet expectations, and actually his life was full of some trauma as well. Yet amazingly, you never see him bitter. We don't read one word of his story about him being bitter. Amazingly, he remains fully faithful to God through it all. And this leads us one step closer to our biblical principle regarding suffering. Remember I mentioned that when Joseph was 30 years old, he was married and had a couple sons. The oldest son he named Manasseh, and the second son he named Ephraim. Now in Jewish culture, names carried huge significance because names meant something more than they do today. It's not like today when we pick out a name just because we like it or because it goes well with our last name or because um, that name doesn't remind you of a jerk and you don't want to name your kid after someone who was a jerk. You know, It's not like that today as it was in the Bible times. I want you to listen to what Joseph said and why he named his sons um, what he named them. Genesis chapter 41, 51 through 52 says this. Joseph named his older son Manasseh for he said... God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. Every time Joseph would have called out his boys' names, um, spoke their name out loud, He was reminded that God knew all that he had gone through. He named one of them that God has made me forget. He named the second one, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. It reminds me of the message that Pastor Mark preached on Easter a few weeks ago. Um, It was the message called Known. And in that message, Pastor Mark shared four points, that God sees you, he loves you, he is for you, and he won't give up on you. And by naming his sons these names, Joseph is acknowledging to everyone, to himself first of all, and then to everyone else, that he was seen and he was known by God. Just like you are seen and you are known by God. God saw all of his suffering and he was close to him, helping him and providing for him in the middle of it all. Joseph's story shows us that suffering does not mean that God has turned his back on us. Not only does God see us, he's right there with us in the middle of any pain we go through, and he offers us his comfort and his peace, his strength, his healing, and his hope. Ephraim's name says it all. God made Joseph fruitful in the land of his suffering. That seems kind of counterintuitive to us that God can make fruit out of something so horrible. But this is the biblical promise and principle regarding suffering that I'd like to share with you today, and it's this. Suffering produces fruitfulness when you stay faithful. Suffering produces faithfulness when you stay faithful. Joseph had a 13-year season of suffering, full of rejection, betrayal, false accusations, unjust imprisonment, and waiting for things to turn around. Yet he was faithful through it all. 
I want to share a few examples of Joseph's faithfulness. First of all, he was very diligent in everything that he put his hands to. He just kept showing up and doing the thing that was placed in front of him, the thing that he was asked to do. Except for one thing he was asked to do, which was he did not sleep with Potiphar's wife because it was a sin against Potiphar. It was also a sin against God. Joseph gave God the credit as the one who interpreted the dreams, although he could have easily taken that credit for himself because the people in Egypt didn't even know Joseph's God. Joseph acknowledged God in everything that he did. He showed kindness, forgiveness, and grace to his brothers and willingly and generously used his resources for their benefit after they had treated him so terribly. Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20, shows us Joseph's faithfulness in a nutshell. I'm reading this out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Vengeance is his, not mine. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present outcome that many people would be kept alive as they are this day. So now do not be afraid. I will provide for you and support you and your little ones. So he comforted them, giving them encouragement and hope, and spoke with kindness in their hearts, or in, to their hearts, spoke with kindness to their hearts. Joseph was the one who was wronged, yet he did the right thing. He was so tender, so compassionate, so forgiving. What that shows us is that through it all, Joseph allowed God to deal with his heart and to heal him. Joseph remained faithful to God and to his values, even when he was in a position of great power and could have easily compromised on those values. And Joseph was also faithful to his own personhood during those 13 years of suffering, and it led to great fruitfulness in many, many different ways. It doesn't get much more fruitful than being the second in command of the entire nation of Egypt, does it? Well, there's another person that I want to share with you out of the New Testament. The second example of our principle that suffering produces fruitfulness when you stay faithful is none other than Jesus himself. Listen to the account of his heartfelt prayer moments before he was arrested, and hours before he died. I'm going to read Matthew 26, verses 36 through 45 out of the New Living Translation, and it says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. 
for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Although Jesus didn't want to go through the rejection and the suffering of the cross, he was faithful to do it. He was faithful to do what he needed to do. His heartfelt prayer, Matthew 26, 39, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus was faithful in suffering. So to prove our biblical principle and promise, the question is, was there any fruit from Jesus' suffering? Absolutely there was. <laughs> if you look around this room, if you look at the past, present, and future Christians of every generation, each person who says yes to God, a yes to relationship with God through Jesus, is the fruit of Jesus' suffering. You are the fruit of Jesus' suffering. Jesus is the ultimate example that suffering can lead to great fruitfulness when you stay faithful. And can you even imagine where we would be without Jesus' willingness to be faithful, to go to the cross, despite the suffering that it would cause him? So how do we apply this biblical principle to our lives when we are in seasons of suffering, whether that be physical or mental or emotional? When you are suffering, stay faithful. Faithful to God, faithful to his ways, faithful to godly values, faithful to doing what is right. What does faithfulness and suffering look like? First thing is you just keep showing up, doing what's right day by day. You don't give up on life. You don't give up on yourself. You don't give up on others. You stay in it. Most of the battle is just staying in it, isn't it? When we're going through something that's challenging. It's just keeping, getting up each morning and doing what you need to do. Now, I want to give a, a disclaimer that I am not suggesting if it, staying in it, is abuse that's not what you should stay in. You need to find help to get out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things other than that, okay? Suffering makes us want to give up, but when we sow seeds of faithfulness, we reap a harvest of fruitfulness. Galatians 6, 9 out of the Living Bible says, And let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing, if we don't get discouraged and give up. Next thing is do hard things. Do hard things. Recognizing God as your source and relying on his strength. 
Just like Jesus in the garden, he had to do a pretty hard thing. And he was praying, please, God, take this away from me. But if not, give me the ability and the strength to go through it. And that's what God did. A couple of my favorite life verses that speak to this, Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Also, Psalm 105, verse 4, search for the Lord and his strength, continually seek him. Thirdly, let God heal your pain, making you better instead of bitter. There's one little difference between better and bitter, one little, different, one little letter that's different, the E and the I, but how many know they're on opposite sides of the scale? When we go through suffering, we can choose to get healing and move towards God, become better, or we can choose to move away from God and become a bitter person. Cooperating with the healing process that God is giving you, that God gives all of us who suffer, ensures that you don't become bitter. And we see this in Joseph's life. I can imagine time after time when Joseph was suffering, when he went to God and God helped him, strengthened him, encouraged him, and healed his heart. This is really important for us because as people, we start treating other people poorly out of our hurt and pain, don't we? The saying is true that hurt people hurt people. So we receive healing from God in his timing and in his way so that we can be faithful with the people that God puts in our path and that God puts in our lives and treat them the way that God would want us to with graciousness and kindness rather out of brokenness and pain. And healing can happen in many different ways. It can happen in one-on-one time just between you and God It can happen in corporate worship times as we hear messages and as we sing and worship together. It can happen in small groups of safe people. It can happen during counseling. It can happen in many, many different ways. Jesus reaches out his nail-scarred hands, his healing hands, to all who have suffered. Because he felt all the pain, he can heal all the pain. And one of the most beautiful fruits of suffering is the gracious and sweet spirit of someone who has come out on the other side of suffering. Joseph wouldn't have been able to bless his brothers and kept the entire Jewish race alive had he not allowed God to heal him from the pain of his brother's abandonment and betrayal. The fruit of faithfulness is suf- the fruit of faithfulness in suffering is always fruitfulness. The question is not, are you going to suffer? <laughs> That's not the question we're dealing with today because we all know the answer to that and we've all lived enough life to understand that that's not the question. The question is, what do you want the outcome of your suffering to be? If I'm going to suffer, I want to get something good and something of value out of it. I don't want it to be in vain, and I certainly don't want it to wreck me. Suffering, if you stay faithful, produces fruit. And fruit is anything good 
that is reproduced in your life and that has the potential of being reproduced in the life of someone else. Some obvious fruit of suffering is compassion, perseverance, strength, being non-judgmental, forgiveness, joy, perspective, unshakable faith and trust, and so much more. You don't get to determine when fruit will happen or even how much fruit you will produce because that's up to God as the OG master gardener. You just get to determine your faithfulness. This morning, the way that I wanted to close this message is by very discreetly sharing some stories of some different women that I know in this church who have um, suffered and stayed faithful and their life has produced some fruit. For example, a mom whose daughter had childhood cancer and now that mom ministers hope to families whose children have cancer and are in the hospital. A woman who has suffered through infertility and who has written a beautiful Bible study book full of healing and hope to others. A woman whose mother died when she was a teenager and she missed out on a mother during those formative years, but now she's a spiritual mother to many in this church. A woman whose daughter experienced trauma who now helps others through trauma. A woman who, when she gets pregnant, her body violently attacks her, yet she is faithfully taking the hit so that she can bring new life into this world. And each and every one of you who are remaining faithful and suffering, I honor you. God sees and he knows, and I promise you, he is working. And even if you've been faithless at times, he will remain faithful to you. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. That's who God is. He is faithful. If you're still waiting for the fruit, hang on tight because it's on its way. I'd like to close with a verse out of Isaiah 32, 17 through 20, and it says this, This righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in safety, quietly at home. They will be at rest. Even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, the Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. And this verse shows us those three things. Thank you. (laughs) Um, That first part that says righteousness will bring peace, that's faithfulness. Even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, that's suffering. The Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. That's fruitfulness, and that's God's promise to us today. Let's pray.